Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Mark Silverman to talk about how you can confront your to-do list to transform your life. Now, let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Mark is an executive coach, an author, and a podcast host. He works with leaders and their teams around the world to address the underlying behaviors and mindsets that sabotage all time management and productivity tools. And today on the show, Mark is going to help you maximize where you shift and devote your attention so you can be sure that you're focusing on the right things and, hey, the things that you want to focus on. So I hope that you get some great tips out of this. Enjoy this podcast as Mark and I talk about confronting your to-do list and transforming your life. Mark Silverman, it is so great to have you. I mean, we're doing this podcast on a Monday, and we're going to be talking about how we can essentially transform our life today. I'm just so happy to talk about your book. I'm so happy to get to know more about you and your style. But Mark, go ahead. Welcome to the show. And if you could, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. I, I love your energy. So getting getting on a, a Zoom call with you is, is quite a bit of fun. Uh, my origin story. So I have uh, severe ADHD. Uh, uh, I'm a uh, drug addict, alcoholic, uh, pretty much loser in life for the first part of my life. And so that's, that's the origin story. By the time I was 27, I was homeless living in my truck and 135 pounds. So when I come to success, when we talk about leadership, when I talk about time management, anything that I talk about, I view it through the lens of um, it's all a foreign country to me, right? So when, when, I, when, when, when I got sober, and uh, I started going to college at 27, you know, and, and, I, and I became really, really successful and had the million dollar house and the nice car and the family and the two kids. Living in an affluent neighborhood and being that guy was a completely foreign concept to me. Uh, so, so that's why the lens is a little bit different. When I, I became successful, in uh, high tech sales, and I worked. I worked for a few really cool startups. Uh, it, I, I, you know, I made lots of money, which was again a weird thing to go from living in my truck to wearing Hugo Boss suits. Yeah. But later on in life, when things started to fall apart, when I really didn't do, you know, I was sober, but I didn't do the internal work to grow up enough to be able to handle success, marriage, children, all that stuff. Stone Cold Sober, that started to fall apart. I started to, the stress of that midlife crisis kind of thing, you know, a, a decade and a half later, really took me down. So Stone Cold Sober, my marriage fell apart. My health fell apart. I couldn't sell anything. And so this, now I needed a second renaissance. I needed to build myself back up again. Uh, and again, the, the, what happened was I became successful because I was trying to prove that I wasn't this homeless loser guy, right? So I bought the nice car, the nice clothes, all that stuff. And I outworked everybody and I just did everything I could to not be that guy. That motivation, though it gets us to success and every successful person, I, every uber successful person I know has some kind of uh, dark secret that pushes them to that level. If you look at Michael Jordan or Elon Musk or any of these people a lot of them are driven by you know a hole inside and the success is celebrated but there's something else going on so for me that fell apart and i put it back together uh and i i i you know got myself healthy again and my career took off again but this time i did it by listening to every self help book every spiritual book 
listening to you know everything I possibly could in order to build back a new person, right? So now, fast forward, I leave high-tech sales. I leave having a sales manager and having my numbers looked at by other people, right? You know, never, never underestimate the, uh, the value of, a, of an asshole sales manager, right? Like the, <laughs> someone that you're a little scared of, right? Now, every time your numbers go up on the board, you're, you're terrified of being at the bottom. Now I'm an entrepreneur. Now I'm my own boss. And I got to tell you, I am an awful boss. The ADHD never <laughs> left, right? Yeah, entrepreneurship so, is hard. It's so hard. <laughs> uh, and nobody told me when I, when, when, it, when I was convinced to become a coach, and I, I wasn't looking to be a coach. When I was convinced to be a coach by uh, one of the authors that I was reading, uh, you know, they, they, you know, talked about how, you know, you could have a six figure business. And, you know, meanwhile, I was taking care of my ex-wife, my kids, my elderly parents, right. I was, I, you know, I was the financial hub of my family. So when I became a coach, I didn't realize that mastering coaching is one thing, mastering entrepreneurship, mastering business was another. So that was an eye opener to me. So for me to sit down at my desk, the world is my oyster. I have the entire day to create and do things, right? The laundry got done. <laughs> the house got clean. The dogs got played with, right? Uh, so uh, YouTube videos got watched. And so I was really at a loss of how I could keep myself on track. So the original book was called Using Distractions to Get the Right Things Done because it was about my learning entrepreneurship and, and self-leadership with ADD. Uh, the subsequent title is Confront Your To-Do List, Transform Your Life, because I rewrote it five years later. Uh, we, we, we updated it because when I wrote it, I wrote it for me. I needed a PhD in how to get things done when the whole world wanted my attention. So I wrote the book for me and possibly my mother, maybe one or two other people would buy the book. I had a couple of friends. <laughs> when I wrote the book originally, a thousand copies went out. The, I think it was 1500 copies went out the door the first day, uh, wow. then 1500 the next day. Right. So we're at 75,000 copies and counting. Uh, so people resonated with this book. Friends of mine, coaches would say they give it to their CEO clients. So now this new updated version is, is you know, for me. Uh, the business book that I wanted to write. But here's the crux of it. What I figured out was I always do what I want to do and I don't do what I don't want to do only ever. We can pretend that we want to do things, but usually what we're doing is we're avoiding a consequence or we're looking for a reward. Uh, and when I saw that, when I saw that if I really wanted something, like let's say the new iPhone came out, and I had work to do that day. Guess what? I was online getting the iPhone. Of course. Right? Yeah, why not? You, you got the iPhone. I can when I, when I wanted a Sonic, <laughs> when, I, when I put a picture of a Sonic Blue Lexus convertible up on my wall, it wasn't two weeks later that I was driving that thing off the lot. So the lie that I don't do what, you know, like I can't get anything done was a, was a big red flag for me. And I started to look at my week. And I made the decision one day that I was only going to do what I want to do. I was going to follow my intuition. I was going to follow my juice. I was only going to do what was really important to me. And it usually was about one or two or three things in a day. Now, before everybody hits the panic button, uh, we do more than three things in a day. 
but I really wanted to see what, what, what you know, if, if, if it's really, really important. So let's say it's urgent and important on that whole, on that scale, or let's say I have juice for it. So, uh, now I'm a, I'm a pad, podcaster. So an example was if I have, juice, I have an idea for a podcast, a solo podcast, right? If I don't run to my microphone with the idea for that solo podcast and record it, that idea goes away, right? So I trust that intuition. But then let's say I have to pay the electric bill. It's the 30th of the month and the electric bill comes in. I don't feel like opening the account, paying the electric bill, doing all that stuff. That's not something I feel like doing. But the consequence I want to avoid is my electricity being shut off. That's a very simplistic thing. So now I started to look at things. Now I started to look at a lot of the things on my to-do list were on my to-do list because other people expected me to do them. Now, when I started to look at the things that were on my list that I didn't particularly want to do, I just agreed to them because I don't know how to set a boundary or, you know, that, that was an eye opener for me. There was a whole bunch of things that I was doing because they were a good idea. Someone told me they were a good idea uh, and, or, or, or they asked me to do it and I just didn't say no. So when I started weeding through that, I realized, oh my God, I need to learn to set boundaries. I need to learn to say no. Then I would, you know, and let's, let's, let's use today's example. So my audiobook is being read, right? I, I keep saying I'm going to read my audiobook and I never get to it. And I hired a guy to read my audiobook and he said he would have it by last Wednesday. And I contacted him on Friday. I said, you know, I haven't seen my book, haven't heard from him. Contacted him this morning. He goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You will have it by tomorrow. And I said, dude, have you read my book? <laughs> like, because <laughs> he's reading my book. I said, first of all, you said you were going to do it in four days. That was impossible. So, you know, you could have now negotiated, said, Mark, I'll get it to you in a week. Got it to me in five days over under, over promise, you know, under promise over deliver. Yeah. Right. Or you could send a note to me on Wednesday when you said it would be done and say, you know what? I need a few more days. Right. So keep your agreements. So now I started to learn that I could renegotiate agreements. So if I said I would do something this week and I don't have time to do it. I could call someone up and I could say, you know what? I promised you this on Friday, but I'm not going to have it done on Friday. If it's really, really essential, let me know and I'll reprioritize things. But if you're okay, if I can have it to you by next Wednesday and they, you know, nine times out of 10, they're like, yeah, sure. Who cares? Like when he said, I haven't had it done. I'm like, dude, I've been waiting five years to write, read my book. If you take a couple extra days, I don't care. I just want right. communication, right? I want to keep my agreements. So now I learned that I didn't have a time management problem and honesty problem with other people. <laughs> I had an honesty problem with myself, right? What I was willing to do, what I'm going to do. And I have a difficult conversation problem. I have an authenticity problem, right? I want to be liked. I want to be all things to all people. I get my self-esteem from being all things to all people only all the time. And when I realized, oh my God, I am not the owner of my experience, right? I just get buffeted. I'm a victim of my wanting to please and be everything to all people to look sharp, to look great. So that's the premise of the book. It's looking at your to-do list and figuring out why everything's on there and then learning to guard it like a junkyard dog. Because that's the other big thing that I realized when I was in my 40s is I only have one life to live. And if I'm living that life, doing things I don't feel like doing, I don't want to do and aren't important, like there's a lot of things you don't feel like doing, but are important. So you find a reason to want them. I get to create my own life. Yeah. I never knew that. So this whole book for me 
is about taking charge of your life, creating a life the way that you want it to do, one to-do item at a time. How's that for an origin story? Well, and there's so much, I love that. I, well, there's so much to unpack there, right? Like the first question I would even ask is at 27, what was the like realization or the, oh my gosh, something has to change. Like, how did you muster up the energy to do that? Because I think sometimes when we find ourselves in those places, it's so easy to say like, there's no hope, right? Like it's easy to give up hope. And so what my curiosity, because if someone else is maybe struggling with the same things that you shared, which we know that we see that and actually people might maybe not be as honest as you about it, right? People are just mm-hmm. kind of hiding that. So if you had to say someone that might be at that same crossroads, like what advice would you give to someone before like kind of making that choice to go into a different direction? So let, let, let's start with, with you. Know, there wasn't a lot of, um, I, I'm not going to give myself any credit for having an epiphany. Uh, I was, I needed to borrow some money. So I, I was living in my truck. So I drove to Washington, D.C. to borrow some money from my brother so that I didn't have to live in my truck. When I got to D.C., my brother said, yeah, I'll, I'll, you can have some money, but you're going to go to AA and you're going to go to NA and you're going to go to the gym and you're going to enroll in, college, in a college class uh, and you can live with me. So my brother is the one who saved my life and got me sober. I had no, in, again, remember, I didn't want to get sober. I wanted the money that he was willing to give me so that I could live. What happened was I took to the AA meetings and the NA meetings like a duck to water. Uh, and I found people that I cared about. I really had no place else to go. So I started, you know, just going to meetings every day. And, you know, that was 33 years ago. Uh, okay. So, you know, I mean- one day at a time, uh, my kids have never seen me drink, right? My ex-wife has never seen me drink. My current uh, husband has uh, never seen me drink. So that that's what happened. The advice for other people is let people help you. You are not a you not you're not a shit. Like my big thing was I was such a piece of crap that I couldn't allow anybody to help me. I could allow people to give me money and things, you know, when I was desperate, but to actually let someone into my life to help me uh, and 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 support me. You know, that self-esteem wasn't even high enough to allow that. And I would say, you are worth it no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you look like, you, your intrinsic value is there. Let someone help you because your story. And again, I see, you know, my story really is inspirational to other people, right? I see the worst thing that ever happened to me turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to me because I have love and compassion for people who have you know, fallen. So your, your story someday will save another life. I love that. Well, and the, like right there too, like you matter, you are worthy, no matter what chair, what car you're driving right now, you matter. Even if you're feeling at your lowest lows, which I know the world feels heavy right now and work can be super challenging. And so give yourself some grace and like that foundational element of you matter. And going back into your book, you know, I think you hit on so many pieces within your origin story, whether it's I've never told it that way, by the way. That was that was that was uh that was that was that was the most original riff I've done on on how I came to to this day. No, thank you. Like your honesty, right? We, we we rise by lifting others and every person is both your teacher and your student. Like just hearing your story and really kind of how you came about these like, oh my gosh, why am I doing what I'm doing? And I think a lot of people, we find ourselves, and I know that you specialize within working with the C-suite, like we do find ourselves in these places of 
feeling like we constantly have to prove it. I know that for me, and one of the things that you had shared, I have a huge part of my identity that's attached to my career. And so when things are going well, I feel really great when things might not be going well, or I perceive them to not meet the high expectations that I have. That's when more of that mental health, you know, becomes Mm -hmm. a challenge or on the flip side, that's when my to-do list starts going, like adding, adding, adding of things that I really don't want to do just because I'm trying to prove that I'm enough. And I think you hit on so many things within that. Um, and we're, so- we're, we're all trying to prove that we're enough. It just looks different for everybody, right? Some people it's achievement. Some people, right? Uh, some, some people it's actually crashing and burning because they got love when they were at their lowest, right? That was one of my things is when I, you know, when I crashed, uh, people cared about me, right? So, so that there's, there's so many ways to try and get love, whether it's, overachieving, whether it's underachieving, whether no matter what it is, looking good, all that stuff. Uh, it's always to fill that hole. That's every, only everything leads to that hole in the soul. You know, I love that you bring that up because you and I both, you know, talking to different audiences, sometimes when you bring that topic to people, people might say like, I don't do that. That doesn't. And so I'm curious, why do you think people avoid maybe acknowledging or embracing the fact that we do and are our harshest critics trying to prove it because I, I just noticed that for some people they get it, but then there are always a few people that resist it. Like, no, 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 no. Like I've got all my stuff figured out. I've never had an issue and I don't buy it. I don't know. Do you see that in your line of work? I've never, I've work. never, I've never met a person who doesn't have that hole in their soul. Right. Uh, and, and, I, and, it, and it's intrinsic in, in just becoming a human being. But the, uh, the reason we avoid it is because one, it just feels so painful Two, it's it's usually ancient. It's usually early childhood. It's usually something so deep, and it feels bottomless. I can't tell you how many workshops I've led. I've have been part been participated in, or been you know the guy on the floor crying, right? That I've I've seen grown ass billionaire CEOs, you know, who never showed weakness in their lives, crying like a baby in the you know in somebody's arms when they touch that pain gorgeousness of that is it's not endless right there is there is healing when you when you let that out that so so for me uh i and it's taken me a long time to realize that no matter how and that's one of the reasons i'm effective in the sweet c-suite is because i know that you know i don't care i wear a solid gold watch i wear a hugo ball i don't care right i was homeless i don't give a shit i know what's going on with people that i'm talking about too and even if they don't admit admit it for four or five meetings later. Now I'll tell people, people will tell me all the time, you know, like, no, I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have. And then like weeks later, they'll be, you know, that thing you said uh, about the hole in the soul a few weeks ago, dude, it's, it's here. You're, you you were right on the money. And meanwhile, they're protesting constantly. So I have to be steady in knowing who human beings are in order to be able to coach that way. Crosshelm is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. 
Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. Okay, I want to ask a question as it relates to um, a man, right? Gender in the workplace. Because I think that that expression is so different. So what's your take on, you know, helping people maybe overcome I don't want to call it toxic masculinity, but it is that masculine toughness. I have to be the hero that like does this. Um, how do you help maybe men come to that point of recognition and acceptance that it's okay to be human? Because I think that they are, you know, whether it's messages from media, whether it's messages from how they're, you know, grew up, I think there is a piece. And I could, we could also go on the flip side, right? With women like, hey, you can cry, but you can't be angry. Like it's, we were both taught different things, but how do you maybe help I would say men who have been really conditioned that like you don't acknowledge that or you don't show that, like how do you actually like hold space for that to help them recognize like it's okay to be human? Well, first of all, how you know how many women uh, go into the workplace, right? With their masculine, with their masculine flag planted, right? They yeah. forget their femininity, they forget their feminine power, they forget being powerful women. They have to go be dudes, right? With you know, pretty dudes in the in the workplace, uh, and then they go cry in the bathroom because they can't yep. show weakness in the boardroom because it doubly, you know, it's doubly. Uh, Been there, right? cried in you many know, bathrooms. You know, so, so it's, um, you know, it, you know, so that hard shell that you put on to get into the corporate world, right? Very few women, and it's more and more, realize that a powerful woman in her feminine is so much more effective in the workplace than a woman who's just all her masculine. Uh, but that's a, that's a new phenomena, I think, in the world. Now, for men, I can't turn men on a dime, right? You, you know, a CEO will build a company, you know, because, again, remember that I said that, you know, the drives and motivations that get us to our 20s and 30s turn on us in our 40s and 50s, right? Those things that get us to success, we have to start yeah. looking at it midlife. Same thing with leadership. The things that got these guys to leadership was that brute force, was that toxic masculinity, right? So for the, to take that tool away from them is terrifying. So I would never take that tool away immediately, right? We take pieces of the tools. We show them the effects of some of their behavior, and we turn that slowly. And it, it, it actually, it's breathtaking. It's what you can do in a year with someone. Uh, it may look like week after week. Uh, you know, I talk to people all the time. I, so I, I, I do a 360 review with all of my clients. 360 review is where you go and you talk to peers. You go talk to superiors. You go talk to uh, people who are underneath you and, you. and you get a 360 view of what your uh, anonymous 360 view of what your behavior is in the workplace. That 360 is so powerful, right? When I have to tell you, when I have to tell someone, people will not tell you the truth because they're terrified of your reaction, right? And to, to be able, and the art form, to be able to speak truth to power that way, you know, you, you know you're, you're, you're toxic to your female employees or you're toxic, you know, like you, you, um, one, of the, one of the feedbacks I had to give is once you make a decision about a someone, 
they might as well quit because you will never let them redeem themselves in your eye. They make a mistake, you're they're done. And it's like, I didn't know I did that, right? I just didn't know, right? So we can start slowly showing them the behavior, but telling them your toxic masculinity is going to do nothing. Most people will respond if lovingly shown the effects of their behavior, because most people don't see the effects of their behavior. I have one, I have one VP who uh, is just, he's a strong personality. And what I have him doing is walking around, noticing how people are when he walks into a room, noticing, you know, just take a couple of deep breaths and notice someone's body language while you're talking to them. And he said, he's, you know, after, after a week of being conscious and we talked the next week, he says, I saw people shrinking, right? I saw people not speaking their mind. I saw it for the first time. Great. Now we can work on the tools on how to shift. And by the way, I don't really have to work that hard because once they see it, now the natural wanting to shift comes in. Right. Oh, well, and I like the, you know, the thinking about the book because so many people come into, you know, a coach where they're like, I want the solution. I want the solution to fix this chaos or this stress or this. And it always starts with it. And that's what your book is. Confront your to-do list, transform your life. You know, we can give you tools for prioritization and time management and how to do that, but it has to start with understanding how you make decisions, how you prioritize. So let's bring it back to the book now. And thank you so much for just sharing your approach to that, because I think I obviously like can share my, you know, experience as a woman in the workplace and like what I think is unfair, fair, not fair, but I do want to hold space also for men, like uh, being like, it's not that it's just, you know, women were the only ones and we need to be able to like have space for both people to understand how we came to be and be curious with that. But coming back to your book, where do you even then begin? So you're starting with that self-awareness piece. And I'm curious because self-awareness, so many different people have different approaches to it. You know, this is how you get it. I noticed, or I heard you say the 360 review, how do you really work with someone to, I guess, establish that self-awareness? Because, Hey, that's where the resistance also lives. It's like, I don't want to take that on. I don't want to be seen as that person. No way. How do you start with that? Well, in my, co- in my coaching, it's a little bit different. So in my, in my coaching, it's the 360 in my coaching. It's also, uh, I see things, right? I'm an, I'm an empath. I'm intuitive. I've been there, done that, right? I've worked with so many people. So I can say like, uh, when sales, uh, one of the things is you always ask questions that you know the answers to, um, right. Uh, and, and just kind of get them to, you know, move along. You ask these questions to establish credibility, uh, and then when, when you do that, then people start to put their guard down and then you can ask the questions and find out what you don't know. Same thing is with these people that I coach. If I ask pertinent questions that make them think, if I, if I make a statement, sometimes I'm bold and I'll say, you know, uh, you know, so you're 55 years old and you know, your health is your, you know, your health is deteriorating and all that. And I'll get my health. My health is fine. I, I remember this particular one particular guy, my health is fine. I'm good. And then, uh, just as we're leaving, we, we stand up and he says, by the way, I had a heart attack three years ago. Did you know that? I'm like, I didn't know it was a heart attack, but I knew it was going to be something right. Like you, you're a pasty white kind of doughy guy. You've been in the hospital, <laughs> right? So I have to know that. But as far as the to-do list piece and for the book, for me, the, the huge piece was when I said, when I have juice for something, when I have, when I have a want to, to do something, uh, 
you know, there's a difference between dopamine hits. There's a difference between distractions wanting to do something, right? I really want to go finish uh, the last episode of The Boys from Amazon, this TV show I'm watching, right? I really want to go do that. That's a distraction. So for me, learning to slow down, meditation, journaling, learning what's in my heart, right? What that desire is, what's, what's inspired action versus what's a dopamine hit. And that takes time. That's trial and error. That's just making it a laboratory, right? Oh, look, I went over here. That was avoiding my work. So for me, a thing that would look good that, that is a distraction is I love making worksheets. I am just crazy. Like, oh, I have an idea. I'm going to make a worksheet about people skills versus, versus people skills. Cause I, I, I said something on a podcast that most people think people skills are this, but people skills are really this. So I'm going to make a worksheet on that. Now, yes, it's great for me to make a worksheet, but that's usually in place of me making sales calls. They, you know, like there's certain things that I put as tens on my list and I fall back to let's make a worksheet. <laughs> so uh, it, you know, that I've, I've learned that about myself. Actually, I didn't know about myself. It was my accountability partner who was like, you know, Mark, you have enough worksheets. Yeah. What you, well, it's really, really easy. <laughs> what you really need to do is make five phone calls this week. Like I'm an introvert. I would much rather work on a worksheet. I, you know, I love that you share that because it is, it starts with that recognition. Like, how are you spending your time? And I can, you know, your message resonated with me because I, I struggle a lot with prioritization, a lot with focus. Um, now, part of that they might say is because of MS. I have no idea if I could have something like, you know, other than that going on, but like, it is super difficult for me to sometimes follow through, but it's super easy to go for the dopamine hits, like to be like, well, I feel really good. Like, even if I'm just doing something simple, like I'm going to take out the trash and recycling, like, even though I could be doing something different, I still am like, well, you did that. And that was good. And then I avoid maybe some of the things that actually will be more beneficial and for those dopamine hits. And it's so much easier too, when like I perceive that task to be like, you know, determining what that level of, I guess, energy investment that it requires. Um, but what, do you, what are other reasons do you think that people sometimes avoid or like pursue the, the dopamine hit versus the inspirational, like, this is going to make me feel Because good. we're trained rats. We're just trained rats. <laughs> we want the pellet and that's it. We are, you know, our dopamine, you know, like the reason certain foods taste good, you know, back way back when was we got the dopamine hit of eating an orange, right? Like that, that kind of thing. But we are, we are bombarded all day, every day by people spending billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars to get our attention. We have an attention core in our pocket all day, every day, right? That, that phone, if you, if you don't think you're addicted to your phone, you're lying. You don't, you're, we're, we're so addicted and you can't go to a restaurant now without three TVs, one with sports, one with news, you know, you, you can't get away from this. I'm reading a book by Johan Hari called Stolen Focus. And he just talks about how it's in the air everywhere you go. Uh, you cannot, you cannot get away from this attention suck. So we've been trained away from deep work. We've been trained away from the dopamine hit, uh, I, I interviewed a guy on my podcast who uh, talks about porn and how it's probably the leading cause for young men to not reach their potential. It's not drugs and all that stuff. It's, it's freaking porn. And he talks about how your dopamine receptors get fried from either video games 
or porn, right? Because that's just, it's just exciting and it gets you going and all this stuff and there's a payoff to it. And then you need more and more. We used to get a dopamine hit from completing a piece of work, right? A task, planting a bush in our garden, um, just you know, sending, sending, sending a piece of work to our boss. We get that dopamine hit, but now our dopamine receptors are all fried. So we don't get that hit from it. So it's not exciting to finish a piece of work. It's not exciting to even win a sale because we're so used to getting our, our, um, our dopamine from food, junk food or news. Like, you know, for me, it's political Twitter. I would much rather be outraged at what I read on Twitter than get a piece of work done because I've trained my body to respond to that. And we all have. And wrestling our attention from that taking our electronics and putting it out. I have to, in order for me to get anything done, I have to take electronics out of my, my, my purview, my view, and I have to put headset on and I have to, you know, I put ADD music on, or I will, you know, if I really need to get something done, I, and I, I found out that people are actually doing this buddy thing. I have a friend who also has to get something done and we open up zoom. We do a two hour session and say, what are you going to get done in this two hours? Great. Check in in an hour. Great. No, no, we're no gospel. We're not talking. We are just looking at each other on the screen while we get our work done. And it's amazing what happens when you just put a, put a buddy on Zoom and get that work done. I love that. I mean, I do my taxes every year with someone sitting on the screen uh, doing whatever she's supposed to be doing. Oh my gosh. I feel like I need to take that idea and start doing it. It's brilliant. It's so brilliant. There's now a service. It's just, yeah, I, oh my, it's a service that's well, actually even more. Brilliant. I don't know. I, I, I haven't awesome. researched it. Someone just texted me because I talk about this all the time, you know, uh, about this accountability and having just, just having an energy of someone else on, on zoom up in the corner of my laptop keeps me on track. And they, someone sent me a link and I haven't looked at it yet to, to this service. I think I need to look into this service. So let, like, what would you say, like knowing that we have probably, you know, a few minutes left here, like what, how would we unpack, like, or how do we begin to confront our to-do list? I know we talked about a few things in terms of more conceptual way, but is there like a process that you have or a sure. framework that you recommend? So, so the first thing, first thing is uh, for your, for your, for your listeners, we put it, we made a page specifically for uh, the people who listen to the leadership habit. Uh, so that they can actually look at the, instead of reading the book, they don't even have to read the book. My clients won't read my book. My, all my clients have ADD. They won't read my book. So they want little five minute videos. So I put a five minute. That's what I, that's what a lot of people do now is just Blinkist. Get the yeah. short, like here. Because we don't have the attention span to read a stupid book, <laughs> right? I, I read, I read about two dozen books a year, but I force myself to sit in the morning and read every day. Uh, but I make these little videos. So you, uh, so when I tell you what to do, you can go and follow up uh, on, on, on the leadership habit page. Um, the first thing you do is you write down everything and then you look at it and you look at it with discerning eyes. You look at it with, why is it on my to-do list? And then you start looking at, oh, this is supposed to be delegated, right? That's a, that's a huge one for most of my, uh, my executives is a lot of this stuff needs to be delegated, but they have the hero complex of, Nobody can do it as well as I do. So they stay up until two o'clock in the morning and finish things, right? Uh, so, okay, this needs to be delegated. All right, now what are the problems with delegating it? Oh, I haven't trained my people properly to do it or something like that. We have those, mm-hmm. those, are, that, those are even more conversations, right? How do you give feedback and how do you get the quality work that you want back so that you can delegate it and free up your time, right? This all leads to stuff. But then you look at what was on my, what's on my list? 
that was on my list yesterday and the day before and a week ago and two weeks ago. Is it really a 10? Is it really something that has to get done? I said it had to get done. In fact, I told everybody I have to get this done to, you know, today. And that was last Thursday. Still not done. Obviously, it didn't have to get done. Right. So you start looking at those things. Then you start looking at, you know, what's a placeholder? What, what are you putting on your to-do list just because you don't want to forget it? Again, for me, the ADD was really cool because everything on my to-do list, I can't do A, B, and C things on a to-do list. Everything screams at me, A plus, A plus, A plus, I have to get done today, right? So I can only have the A's. I can only have the 10s in front of me. So everything else goes someplace else. But my day is I absolutely need to send uh, the link to the, to the uh, podcast resources uh, to you right today. That's my 10, right? Like whatever the 10s are for today, that's all I look at. Now, remember I said earlier, it doesn't mean we're only going to do three things, but it means that we're going to eat the frogs, right? As uh, uh, I forgot who said it, uh, uh, Brian Tracy, I think it's Brian Tracy, eat the frog first, right? We're going to do the things that the 10s that need to get done. Then I don't care if you watch Netflix all day, right? I, but what usually happens is then you start going and knocking off some of the other things. Right. Uh, but as long as my tens are done, life moves forward. I love, you know, if I actually did, I'm trying to think if I did more tens, I feel like I would have less anxiety, a greater sense of accomplishment, less stress, less. And I know we talked about this word on the pre-call, like overwhelm. Um, and yet, you know, I think I still have my own resistance, but I, I really want to try. We all do. We all do. It's easy. It's so much easier to be busy. <laughs> Than to, than to actually choose what we do with our time and our attention. So much easier to be busy. Yeah, well, and it's just like avoidance too. Like I know some calls are difficult conversations like those. It's so easy to avoid those and be like, I don't want to get into that. And I actually don't mind conflict, but yet if it's, you know, I do avoid it to some extent too. If I think, oh my gosh, I'm not Who sure. Who wants to, to be unpleasant? <laughs> huh? Who wants to be unpleasant? It's unpleasant. Yeah, I, it's no, unpleasant I, to call someone and say, you know, that, that piece of work that you sent me, uh, what I liked about it was this and this, but this needs to be fixed, right? It's unpleasant. Uh, so why would you do it? Why would you want to do it? And it needs to be done, right? Otherwise, you're the one fixing it at two o'clock in the morning. So when it's the tens, is it like, is there a certain way to structure your day, like with time blocking or, I mean, even talking about email I can't time block. So email. everything I do is necessity. I well, Every assistant I've ever had is like, no oh, more. Have you ever tried time blocking? I'm like, all right, I have to train you again. I do not time block. I just do my tens. And if it's 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night and I go to bed and I didn't do a 10, I get out of bed and I do my 10. So it'll get done. I just don't know when. Uh, and then how do you fit in the eights or the fives? So you I don't do, do the eights and fives. See, that's the thing. Eights and Ever? fives. But what about, that's like adulting. Like how, you know, nope, going back to the nope. example there, of like Eights and fives bill. do not need to be done. Give me an example of an eight. That, uh, give me an example of a five that needs to be, that absolutely has to get done. Like a bill. No, a bill is a ten. A bill is a ten uh, on the day it's due. Okay, got it. So it shifts based on the time, but there's really not a lot of things that you know. If it's not a ten, it's just not a ten. Right, it's just not a ten. <clears throat> and that's the argument that I get from everybody. But Mark, there's all these things, and then when you look at it, it's like, yeah, it doesn't need to be done, right? Or Mark, I have to hire a network, a new network engineer. Really? That's on your list. Hire a new en uh, network engineer. Great. What are the steps to hiring a network engineer? 
well, actually, I have to write up uh, the request to um, HR. Great. What else do you have to do? Well, well they'll, they'll write the job description and all that, you know, and, and all the, and they'll post it and everything. So all you have to do is write the request. Great. Now that's the 10. Yeah. It's See the difference? Yeah. But you, they put hire network engineer and it, it's this big thing when all it is is a little email saying, hey, could you guys uh, write up the, uh, the request? I love that. That's a firm take. Well, and it's, it's the discipline to take, right? The focus take on what we're doing. But what would you say to someone that feels like, you know, because we're used to those dopamine hits or we're used to feeling, you know, chronically busy and to only focus on tens might tell ourselves that we're not being as productive, that we're not being as blank, right? Because we're giving something up to just focus on the tens. What do you say to that? I've never heard anybody who's ever done only tens. I've never, ever, 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 ever heard that they don't feel productive. They, I've only ever heard, I finally feel productive because almost all the time I hear, I work all day long. I am busy all day long and I never get anything done. Never feels like I get anywhere. I fight fires all day long. I'm fighting fires all day. I'm like, can we go hunt some arsonists and see what's causing the fires, right? That, that's, that's the shift. But anybody who's actually implemented the tens have said, holy mackerel, We've moved the ball forward on all kinds of things. Uh, so yeah, that's never been a problem. It's only a problem before anybody tries it. I mean, we I know this is a topic that we often don't talk about a lot. Companies don't put it in job descriptions. What about email management, right? Because hypothetically, that is full of ones and tens, but yet you have to, you know, kind of mine through it to figure out what that looks like. Like any tips for someone that's struggling with a email? Because now we're saying that for some people, it can equate to 30% of their work for a week. It's just the email management. It's extremely time intensive or energy exhausting. I'm curious if you have any takes or just if you've seen any solutions work for how people can do that. Because again, you have to have the time to mine through it to determine what your tens are. Uh, Every executive that I have worked with who's mastered it has hired an assistant who they trust to do triage on their email. They hire someone else to do the triage on their email and they give the criteria of what comes through to them. So now it's gotten one level of email management ahead of time. But for me, you know, like I, that's not, that's not something I know how to do. What I do know how not to do is make email my dopamine hit, make email, you know, like organizing my email, like it's actual work, like it's actually an actual 10. So I will in the morning, Delete, 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 save, delete, 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 save, 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 save. So that by the time I get to my desk, I'm like, okay, these are the only things that really matter today. Yes. Okay. And I I just had to ask that because I just know that it's, you know, that's a big attention pull. And it's also an anxiety producer in a lot of different ways. Oh, like the urgency. And I think when you don't have any plan for it, it can very easily take all of your attention and make you feel less accomplished just by focusing on that. Mark, what would be any final thoughts or takeaways that you would want to share with our listeners? The, the, you know, we talked about this earlier, this worth thing. It, a lot of things, I found a lot of things on my to-do list, and I find a lot of things on most people's to-do list have to do with worthiness. Uh, and being all things to all people, not being able to set a boundary, not being able to uh, delegate, not being, you know, not being able to do the thing. I, I was joking about the people skills versus people skills. I thought people skills 
or being nice to people and everybody likes me and all that kind of stuff. When I realized uh, people skills are actually being able to set boundaries. It's being able to create strong agreements about things. It's about giving feedback. It's about asking for help and asking for what I want, right? So I now think people skills are a very different thing. Uh, so the self-worth piece, if you're going to set a boundary, the only way you can set a boundary is if you're worth it, right? Yeah. For me, uh, I read a book called um, Relax in the Wealth by Alan Cohen, which is what got me to become a coach. That's a whole other story. But he said, what if, he said, what if you treated yourself like you treat everybody else? And like my ex-wife lived in the million dollar house and I lived in this shitty little apartment. My mom, you know, like I took care of every, like, what do you mean? Like I treat everybody like everybody else. I'm not even on the list. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, so really working on, you know, you have intrinsic value. You get to be on the list. You were a precious, you know, like we all give to our children. You know, you were a child once too. You have a life. You are as worthwhile as anybody else here. Uh, that that is a revelation to me, and that's the thing. That's the first thing to start to work on. I love that you matter, Mark. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, they can go to the webpage, the one, the link that I give you for your for the resources, or just uh, uh, markjsilverman.com. Mark the letter J Silverman.com, and everything's there. My free workshops. I do a, a free workshop every month on this only tens thing, uh, so they can go there. Uh, my 90 days out of overwhelm, uh, they can go there for that. And my podcast is called Mastering Overwhelm, how to thrive in business, life, and relationship. I love it. Check it. You'll have to go and head over and check out Mark and his resources. Listen to the podcast. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your story, opening up your heart with vulnerability and just helping us recognize that, you know, I just love your final point of you matter. It's been a joy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for letting me talk about things that are really deeper and more important than just the to-do list and that where and noticing where that where that actually leads. That was really beautiful. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I really enjoyed my conversation with Mark. If you want to get in touch with him, you can go to markjsilverman.com. There you can pick up his book. You can get to know more about him, subscribe to his podcast. And of course, if you are looking for your own development as it relates to prioritization or time management, head on over to crasscom.com. We would love to help you develop your leadership skill set so you can be as productive and accomplished as you want to be. And finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free, give us a rating, let us know what you think or share it with a friend. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.